I'm sorry that you took what I said wrong. It's okay. I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. That's not the intention of my heart. It's okay. I'm sorry for being a jerk. It's fine. Or how about this one? I'm sorry that you're an idiot. Will you please forgive me? Like, have you ever, that was a terrible one. That was just a joke. But have you ever expressed those, or have you ever yourself experienced those type of apologies? Those are all terrible examples of apologies that I have personally used outside of that last one. I, I think I can say I've never said I'm sorry that you're an idiot, at least seriously. Um, all of those are terrible examples. Like a robot, there have been times in my life where I've sinned against my wife and against my kids and against others, and I've, I've felt a bit guilty for this outburst of anger that I had or this yelling or maybe these snarky comments and I've, I've kind of half-heartedly thrown out some, some pretty pathetic apologies, confessions along the way. All while not really believing it was that big of a deal. No one died, right, like because of my sin that I committed against them. No one appeared to be harmed. And of course, I felt, felt just a little sorry, at least some worldly sorrow I was feeling, wrestling with. But those apologies in my life have been like a broken record, this cyclical pattern. I mess up, I feel shame, I feel guilt, or at least, again, a little sorrow for what I have done. I throw out some, some words of hope, hopes that the other person will tell me, hey, it's all right, it's all good, no big deal, and to really make me feel better, Maybe I've even shed some tears because I, I do feel this genuine remorse. I'm really feeling it, so I shed some, shed some tears in hopes of getting those words, I forgive you. And I, I, I've done that, just honest confession. I've, I've thrown those apologies out all without actually me getting to the heart of my sin. My sin before them, yes. Like there's, again, that remorse. I've half-heartedly expressed that. I've asked that they forgive me, maybe. My sin before them. But what about my sin before a holy God? What do I do with that? We've got to do something with it. I'd like us to take a look at our own hearts this morning, because I think we would all agree that we're, none of us are perfect, which means if you can get there, if you can agree that none of us are perfect, then at least we could admit that we've probably wronged others. Raise your hand if you have wronged somebody. Maybe you're sitting next to them. Maybe you wronged them this morning. Don't raise your hand at that. Um, we've sinned. We've sinned against one another. We've used them. We've hurt people along the way, sometimes intentionally. We did things to better ourselves. We cheated them. We lied to them. We've maybe stolen. We have intentionally hurt or maybe even abused or neglected, which means if you can get to that, that you have sinned, then that means not just against them, you've sinned against a holy God. I'd even go to the extent and say that we've all worshiped 
false gods. That's a whole other sermon series, looking at the idols of our hearts, whether that be sex or pleasure or money or power or control or the approval of man. You've all bowed down. We, me, us have all bowed down to the idols of our hearts. So what do you do with that? Because we've got to do something with it. I say it every week. We've got to do something with the word here. When we look at the word, we see very clearly two options. Before we even get into our text, if you just look at the word of God, Genesis to Revelation, you got it. there's two options. One, one option is this. You just keep being you. You do you. You keep worshiping yourself. I can tell you from my own experience, and I can also point you to the scriptures, that that will lead to a life of condemnation, a life where, where you are it. As good and awesome as you think you are, that's going to lead you to just, you're it. You're enslaved to the emptiness that this world offers. Your joy and your happiness is found only in yourself. Or, in another exhausting view, it's only found in the approval of others. Where all you care about is if so-and-so approves who you are. You're separated in this option. You're separated from a loving God because you refuse your need for a Savior. And so at that point, friend, all of the weight of that shame and guilt that we've all admitted we have, you've sinned against somebody, I'm saying we've sinned against a holy God, all of the weight of that sin, shame, and guilt, it's going to bear down on your soul because you are it. You're the hero of your story. Or you can take all of that and you can turn to the Word of God. And you can look at the Word of God and, and what it says. Then you can realize that you are a sinner. You are separated from the loving Father. And you feel the weight of your own sin. And how all of it actually is going to lead you to death. You feel that. But in that, while you were dead to your sin, as Scripture says, you realize that, that actually Jesus died for you in that moment. While you were still dead to your sin, Christ Jesus died for you. He took the weight of all of that, all of your sin on his shoulders, and his body was broken, and his blood was shed. That's that in his death, what he has done to you and for you, he actually offers you life and forgiveness from all of your sin, your past, your present, and your future. And as you reflect on His love and mercy and grace in Jesus, in humility, you begin to realize your need to actually do something with this, to cry out to Him, to put your faith now in Him, to put your trust and hope in the only one who can take a dead man and breathe new life into with a new heart. And that's when you repent of your sins. You turn from yourself. You turn from worshiping the things of this world. And then you actually, so I'm worshiping everything of this world, myself. I'm the hero. I don't need rescuing because I'm it. And you turn from that to a savior. You turn to him. And when you do that, you're now made new, forgiven. You're loved, adopted, and chosen. And the list goes on and on and on of his beautiful grace that showers all over you and cleanses you and makes you new, breathes new life into you. 
And as a follower of Jesus, at that point, you're an apprentice of his life. His life and his ministry. Still far from perfect. Don't hear me say that you become perfect when you do that, when you turn to him. But you're no less loved, even in your sin at that moment. Your life, though, is marked with joyful, obedient, with a joyful, obedient heart. One that continues to strive to look more like the hero, to look more like Jesus, making every effort to daily, sometimes moment by moment, turn from your sin over and over again. Turn from your sin, stop worshiping yourself, and turn to Him. This is known as repentance. This is the biblical word, repentance. I know some of us, you might hear that. That might be a new word to you. Maybe you don't really understand what it means. Some of us hear that and we think it's just someone going to be yelling at us that if we don't repent from our sins, we're going to turn and go burn in hell for eternity. Like maybe that's, excuse me, maybe that's how you grew up. Others of us hear that word. We know it's in the Bible we hear it, we know it, we even know that God tells us in order to be saved that we must what? We must repent of our sins, but we view it in a negative light. As if God is withholding his love from us. You're not worthy of his love. You have to clean yourself up first in order for God to extend his grace upon your life. But y'all, the word of God actually teaches us that it's his kindness is what leads us to repentance. Did you hear that? His kindness to you this morning will lead you to repentance, meaning you don't have to hide your sin anymore. You don't have to hide your suffering from him any longer. The gospel is not for those who have sorted all of their mess out. It's not for those who have their spiritual acts together. Mercy is offered to the lost and to the miserable sheep who are skeptical, wondering, and weary. And there's no preconditions. You can honestly expose your brokenness. That's why I say things. Last week we looked at a psalm of lament. talked about it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be frustrated. What do you do with this? You take it to the Lord. And in that, we saw last week, that you repent. You stop looking at yourself and you turn to God. That's repentance. You can honestly expose the brokenness, your sin, your suffering, your, your guilt, your shame, all of your sin and garbage. And you can turn to him in all of his kindness for you. And you can cry out to him and you can actually be saved. So family, just up front, before we even get into the scriptures, repentance lies at the heart of the gospel. And it's going to always lead to a joy-filled life. So what does repentance look like? How do we walk in this as a believer? It might sound like good news to you, like, oh, this is great. I can, it's okay to not be okay. What do we do with this? How do you walk day in and day out? You live a joy-filled, obedient life full of repentance. And this is what repentance is. It's on the screen behind me. If you take notes, repentance is this. It is a heartfelt sorrow for sin. It's key. A heartfelt sorrow for sin. A denouncing of it 
And at the same time, again, I want you to think about this, this word turn. Repent literally means to turn. So a heartfelt sorrow for sin, denouncing it, and a genuine commitment to forsake it and now walk in obedience of Christ. Do you see that? The pivotal point there? Heartfelt sorrow for sin, you're denouncing it. Now a genuine commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience for Christ. This morning, we pick up in Psalm chapter 51. Here we see David's account of repentance for some very specific sin. Last week, we looked at a psalm of lament. David had no sin that he was confessing and asking for repentance of. And we looked at that process of a lament. This is also a psalm of lament, but he's lamenting very specific sin. And Psalm 51 actually offers us the biblical portrait of what repentance looks like. So real, real quick, you have a feel of where we're coming from. Psalm 51 is a firsthand personal response of the events that are found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. It's a psalm of lament. David is confessing his sin here. Remember, David, a man after God's own heart, right? David and Goliath. David, the man after God's own heart. That's what we, we tend to stop there because we want to focus on, oh, I want it to be like David, man after God's own heart. 2 Samuel 11 and 12, he just committed adultery with Bathsheba. The man after God's own heart falls away gives into temptation, commits adultery with Bathsheba. He lied about it, if you know the story. And then what happens? Well, he arranged for her husband to be murdered. He was off at war. He arranged for her husband to be put to death. And after some time, okay, so this happens, 2 Samuel 11 and 12. After almost a year, somewhere between 8 and 12 months, David is sitting on this. Nobody knows, per se, what David has done. David does. He knows exactly what he did. After some time had passed, he's stricken with guilt and misery. And through a series of events, which is unbelievable with the Holy Spirit and how he works, out of the kindness of God, what happens? God sends the prophet Nathan, and he confronts David with the sins that he had committed. And David, finally, he feels that weight he finally came clean and he dealt with his guilt. And that's where we have Psalm 51. It's like a, a, a pin to our words when we're caught in our sin or when we're guilty enough to actually confess our sin. We get, we get firsthand experience of the man after God's own heart and how he was confronted, caught. Didn't even come before the Lord first. He was caught. Out of God's kindness, we see it leads him to repentance. So this psalm, it actually pins the personal experience of David's failure, and it gives us the framework for how we can respond. And we're not going to walk verse by verse like we typically do, because there's 19 verses, and, and I, I just want us to look at the framework of repentance. One author, uh, I think it's Bonhoeffer, who says, all of life is repentance. You've heard me say this before, all of life is worship. If all of life is worship, and you're worshiping the God of the Bible, then that means the overflow of that joy for who God is, all of life is now repentance. Constantly turning from your sin and putting your eyes on Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see this morning, if you take notes, again, write this down. This is something that 
In the last five or six years, God has radically helped me in my marriage and how I parent, how I deal with conflict in the church, outside the church. What does this look like? These are helpful things from God's word when we think about how do we repent from our sin. What does the word say? Genuine repentance begins with conviction of sin. You can see that. You can look at the scriptures. David says, be gracious to me. Basically, I know I've messed up. I know what I've done. I've done something wrong. Blot out my rebellion, he says. What is sin? It's rebellion against God. David's chosen to love himself. He's chosen to keep his eyes on himself. He's rebelled against a holy and pleasing, perfect God. What else does he say? Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. I'm conscious. Can you imagine for 8 to 12 months... I know you can, because I know some of us are sitting on stuff right now. Your deepest, darkest secrets that nobody ever knows. If somebody knew the real Matt, then they would be totally ashamed. If somebody knew the real Jeff, if somebody knew the real Cody, like you're, you're sitting on something right now, and you, you're fearful that if somebody knew your deepest, darkest sins, you're fearful that even the Father, as we looked at last week, would turn his face away from you. David sat on this. Can you imagine the weight, the agony, bone-crushing, just emotional, emotional wrath on himself? I've sinned. My sin is always before me. I've done evil in your sight. He sees his sin. He calls it for what it is. He even admits his sinful nature here. He says, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. He knows the depravity of his own soul. It is very clear. The man after God's own heart knows that from the moment he came out of his mother's womb, he was conceived a sinner. Sinful. He knows that because of the fall in Genesis 3 that he's broken. But he also knows that his sin before a holy and perfect God, he can't hide from that anymore. He knows that. And I think this is key. So repentance begins here with conviction. The Holy Spirit, through prayer or worship, there's been times where I've been driving in my car, reflecting on, on the season of life, reflecting on something. There's been times where a brother or sister has called me out. Whether that's my wife, my, my daughters, my, my family, whether that's a brother or sister in community group, there's been times where out of God's kindness... Somebody I've sinned against has come to me. We've worked through this. Repentance begins with conviction, and God uses different ways to convict. Maybe it's by yourself. Maybe it's when whoever you sinned against comes to you. Somehow, the God of love, out of his kindness and his mercy to you, begins, should begin to convict you of your sin. You've got to own up to this. We can't move too quickly past this. Martin Lord Jones says this, repentance means that you realize that you are guilty. You are a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God. That you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you are hell-bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, that you long to get rid of it, and that you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, the world in its mind and outlook as well as its practice, and you deny yourself repentance, you deny yourself and you take up your cross and you go after Christ. 
there's something about feeling the weight of your sin. I'm not here to say, hey, you need to sit in your sin and suffer. But I, I do think we move very quickly past this conviction. Before a holy and righteous God, you've sinned. And before your brothers and sisters, you've sinned. Vertical and horizontal alignment. You've sinned first and foremost to Him. And then you've sinned against your brothers and sisters. And when you move too quickly past conviction, you might end up telling yourself and others that you are repenting of something that you're not even convinced is wrong. You don't even feel the weight of that sin that you've committed. Think back to those terrible examples I gave you, right? Like, I'm sorry that you took what I said wrong. I'm sorry that you misunderstood me. That wasn't the intention of my heart. I'm sorry for being a jerk. Like, none of these are really convictions of my heart. What they are is I'm right and you're wrong. You took what I said wrong. You don't know the intentions of my heart. That's not owning anything. There's no feel of conviction in that. Those are counterfeit apologies. You, really, they're just worldly sorrow for my shame. I don't want to feel shame, so I'm going to go to my wife and I'm going to say, I'm sorry that what, you, that what I said you took wrong and, you know, will you please forgive me? And we were conditioned the first half of our marriage where she was like, well, you said, will you forgive me? And I know the word says I have to forgive. And she would say, yeah, sure, I forgive you. And it was cyclical. She would do something to me and it would be like, well, I got to forgive her. So I got, we, we never sat in the conviction. Sor worldly sorrow for my shame. It was more of just I'm bummed because I feel the consequences now. Maybe broken trust between us, discipline that came with the consequences, or maybe you were just bummed because you fell short of your own self-image that you thought was perfect. You have this high standard for yourself, and you, don't, you didn't live up to it, so you really just feel shame because you didn't live up to your own standards. Maybe you're just bummed because I, I'm going to look bad in the eyes of my friends. The real me is going to be exposed, and I can't stand that someone would think less of me. That's really why I'm bummed. I'm bummed because I got caught. Don't confuse remorse for genuine repentance. Presence of tears even. Don't always mean it's genuine repentance. You can feel remorse without ever feeling conviction of your sin. Remorse, actually, hear me on this, never runs to God and His mercy. It runs to the consequences and you feel bad for the things that have happened. You can actually hate the consequences over your sin and still not hate the sin itself. That's called false repentance. True repentance is the realization that you have sinned against God. Not just the fear of being caught or the regret that there might be some consequences. Repentance is not a mere change of feeling, but a change of your heart and your mind. And David we see very clearly feels the weight of his sin. And instead of it leading to him just wallowing in his shame and guilt, what, what happens? The Spirit of God in all of his kindness, hear that, in all of his kindness convicts him, and David actually calls it for what it is. He's not asking God to just take away his bad feelings. He's not even asking God really to take away the consequences. 
He's owned it. He knows the consequences of his sin. His conviction actually leads him to plead with the Father to now just show grace and mercy on his life. And out of that conviction, we see the next thing comes a confession. True confession consists in humbly telling the whole truth about our sin. It's not about mouthing words. It's actually about telling the truth. I think some of us here, we probably fear that confession is going to lead to greater feelings of guilt. Or confession might lead us to maybe more judgment from God. I want you to hear this. The same righteous judge who does not stand for sin. The same righteous God who does not stand for sin is the same loving father whose son laid down his very life to cover the sin that you keep running from. Last week I said honesty is the foundation of intimacy. It's a prayer of lament. It is very applicable here. If you feel coldness from the Father, if you're worried as a Christian brother and sister that he's going to shame you or guilt you into something, those are lies from the enemy. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Prayerfully consider, if that's you, what might you be hiding from? What are you hiding from? What are you worried about? Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is not just a call to the the mom who seems to be tired. This is not just a call to the laborer who's tired from work. This is not just a call to those who are tired in your marriage. This is a call for the sinner, you and I, to come lay down our idols at the feet of Jesus and to experience the deep grace offered as you repent and turn from your sins. What good news is that to us this morning? First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. Confession is the verbal product that leads us into repentance. Genuinely convicted, now we're genuinely confessing, not hiding, not sugaring it up to make it sound sweeter. You call it for what it is. Repentance might be in an internal act, right? Like nobody, repentance is an internal act, but confession is the external evidence. David didn't cover his sin anymore. He stopped hiding. Out of his genuine conviction, he turned to God. He confessed. He honestly exposes his sin. He confesses his idolatry. He's guilty. He knows that he deserves death. Someone had to pay for his his sin. David says, clearly, he says, wash me. Look at what he says. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. He had heard about the Son of God. The one that was to come. The better David. The better Noah. The better Adam. He knew what the prophets prophesied about. The Son of God, the Messiah that was to come. You're on this side. Can I just tell you that the Son of God has laid down His life for you and He offers you new life. 
that you would now be washed in the blood of Jesus and made whiter than snow. That was David's prayer. On that side, we're on this side. Washed and made whiter than snow. Do you see how precious the blood of Jesus is for you, the sacrifice for you, that he takes away your sins? He died. He was the sacrifice for you. He died for your sins, the death that you deserve. And if you're here this morning just wrestling with forgiveness, he can forgive you and wash you clean. What about the sins that nobody knows about? He can forgive you. Confess your sins, repent, turn from them, and walk in newness of life this morning. All of your shame and sin, he can forgive. The the suffering that you've caused, the suffering that you're now wrestling with that has been the sin that has been done to you and all of that shame and suffering. He's made a way for you to turn to him in faith through his son, Jesus. The Scottish theologian Sinclair Ferguson, he says this very beautifully. Only when we turn away from looking at our own sin to look at the face of God. Okay, so we're, we're here. Repentance is happening when we turn from here and we look at the face of God to find his pardoning grace It's only then do we begin to repent. Only by seeing that there is grace and forgiveness with him would we ever dare to repent and thus return to the fellowship and presence of the Father. Like This is the good news of the gospel. That out of our sin, out of our rebellion to God, we can graciously, out of his kindness, feel that conviction of our sin. And we can confess that to him and we can confess that to one another. You can turn from all of that and live a life of repentance. Dads, let me just throw this out there. What if the legacy that we left for our families was not just that we protect, provide, all honorable things mandated in Scripture, but the, the one thing that is actually laid before us husbands and fathers, is that we would sacrificially love. What if, dads, your legacy you left behind was marked by one of genuine repentance? Where repentance was the way of life moving forward for you. Where we never stop believing in Jesus. Where we're so in love with Jesus that it just keeps moving us closer and closer to looking more like him. What if we never stop turning away from our sin and turning to God? What if that's what our kids saw? Man, dad, dad really sins a lot. He confesses a lot and he repents and he turns from that. What, what's so bad about that? The world says, dads, be strong. Show them that there's very little emotion in a man. In a man. You know, have some calluses on your hands. Maybe know how to protect yourself and, and others, and then go out into the world and replicate that. That's not the way of Jesus. What if the legacy we left our families was one that they experienced our own, us owning our own failures and shortcomings and admitting our sin, confessing to them as we sin, calling it for what it was, and turning to Jesus, laying down our idols, and sacrificially loving our families. What if, what if our church was marked by that? 
What if Grace Church Lido was known by our repentance, where we constantly turn from the sin that we once loved and we now turn to the one who can heal and forgives and makes things new? What if when we sinned against someone, we'd go to that person out of love for Jesus and confess it to them? Brother, I know that I've sinned against you. The Spirit has convicted me. I've confessed that to the Lord, and I know that God offers forgiveness, but I need to come to you, and I need to ask for forgiveness for this specific thing. Will you please forgive me? I know what I've done. I can't imagine how that has made you feel, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. Like, what if that is what we were marked with? I believe if that was what we were marked by, people would see our affections for Jesus. They would see that overflowing love of the Father overflowing into how we treat people, how we're now, even to people outside of this church, we now go when we've sinned. And we ask for forgiveness, and we're gentle, and we're gracious, and we extend mercy. I believe that they'd see Jesus through us. And that's what David wants to do. He wants to teach others about forgiveness. He wants, this, he wants us to see what repentance looks like so that we, so that they would be able to worship God, that they would turn and repent. So just overarching here real quick. In repentance, God isn't fighting for better behavior with you. He doesn't just want you to be better, to do better. He doesn't even want you to just suffer in all of your consequences. He actually wants your heart. He wants all of your affections, all of your praise, all of your worship. Genuine conviction, genuine confession leads to genuine repentance. And genuine repentance, the last two things, is, is eager to make things right with people that we've sinned against. You're eager. If you're genuinely convicted, you're genuinely convic- confessing, then you're genuinely eager to make things right with the ones that you've wronged. David knows that his sin affected so many. It affected the kingdom. He asked God to restore Jerusalem. He wants God to make things right for God's glory, not for David's. Like this is the result of a changed heart. And then lastly, our sin separates us from God, but also from others. I touched just briefly on this. What, what, what does an apology look like? When you sin against God, you have, to, you have to make that right. Turn from your sin, turn to him. And then that obedience, looking more like Jesus, is actually going to your brothers and sisters because sin drives a wedge between you and others. It separates you from one another. You know it, I know it, you've all felt it. You might even be in here this morning. You just feel a little off between so-and-so. Chances are one of you have wronged each other. And we're so stinking stubborn that it's like, well, you know... Yeah, 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 they'd come to me, you know. They sinned against me. And rightfully so, you've probably sinned against them and how you've responded and not extended grace. Sin separates us from others. So as you make things right with God, you're reconciled back to Him. It's going to lead you to make things right with others. Last thing, genuine repentance commits to the hard work of rebuilding relationships that have been broken by sin. I'm going to read that one more time because I want you to see this. We talk about deep friendships here. It's one of our distinctives. Cultivating deep friendships. That's, that's farmer work. That's farmer terminology. Cultivating. 
tilling up the ground. That's work. That's sweat. That's labor. That's going to bed tired because of this emotional conversation that you had to have. But it's work. Genuine repentance commits to the hard work of rebuilding relationships that have been broken by sin. First half of our marriage, terrible. Terrible at... What time, that, sounded, that sounded terrible. First half of our marriage, beautiful, awesome, wonderful. Fighting was terrible. It was quick. You know, I'm a fixer. She didn't know how to process things. She just, well, she did. She just needed time. But I'm a fixer. So if I sinned against her, it's, hey, how did it make you feel? You want to talk through this? Let's talk through it right now. I'm ready to, I won't do it again. Let's just talk about it. And she's like, okay, I forgive you, you know? And, and like, I just thought I, that, that phrase, don't let the sun go down, you know, like the, the Psalms, the Proverbs, don't let the sun go down um, in, in anger. As a pastor, I should know that and have it memorized. Don't let the sun go down in anger. Like, means, well, it's 8.01. My gosh, we're going to have to work through this tonight. What she really just needed, she's exhausted. There's two kids climbing all over. She just needed some time and space. She just needed to process some stuff. She just needed to think through. And I didn't have to fix it right then. But early on, I felt like I did. And so a lot of my apologies were... A lot of my apologies were me wanting to feel better and not genuinely convicted. I just knew something was off, so I would go to her and I would say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry that you took what I said wrong. Will you please forgive me? Well, what is she going to say to that? Husbands, what's your wife going to say? No, I don't forgive you. Well, take it up with God, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know what the scripture says. You can't do that. We have to give time and space to work through things. That was the first half of our marriage. Now, now I, I'm the one that's like processing. I'm processing my sin before the Lord because it's not just that I lashed out in anger. It's that something so deep inside of my heart wanted to worship something other than God. For me, it's typically comfort or control. And when my comfort gets disrupted, or when things are out of my control, my flesh lashes out in anger. So if I just go to Cody and I say, hey, I'm sorry, this even sounds good. I'm sorry, Cody, for how I responded. I know that, you know, I was angry in that, and I said some things, and I shouldn't have, and I'm really sorry. I know that probably made you feel that way. Would you forgive me? That sounds better, but you know what owning my sin is? Hey, babe, I'm I'm so sorry that I, y'all are going to think like we fought today. This is just an example. I'm sorry that I worshiped myself, my comfort, more than you. And I know that when I do that, it makes you feel very little. And you don't feel loved. You don't feel cared for. You don't feel respected. And that's not okay because Jesus loves you and I'm called to sacrificially love you. Like that's, a, that's, that's cultivating. Now that doesn't happen every time, but I'm telling you it's hard work. Parenting and disciplining your kids is hard work. Deacon, if you sin against sister, I'm sorry for hitting you. Will you please forgive me? Yes, I forgive you, and you just move on. Deacon, why, why'd you hit? Let's talk about it. What's, the, what's really at the root of you? Oh, yeah, buddy, I get it. Like, you, you had the controller, and she took it from you, and it was out, literally out of your control, and like, she, she really disrupted some stuff in your heart. Oh, that's draining but it's what we're called to do. 
not just feel remorse, but to genuinely repent of our sin takes time. It means you have to be present with those that you sin against. You have to think through it. You have to prayerfully consider. God, what is it that I'm worshiping right now? Convicted by the Spirit, we grieve our sin. We confess it with full honesty, specifically, truthfully, and we turn from it. We repent from that. And we turn to Jesus, and as David does, it leads to joyful worship. Not shame. Yeah, there's some good guilt. There might even be some good shame. I can't believe that I got, you know, that how I responded that way. I'm, I'm shameful in that. There's, there's good shame. There's good guilt. There should be. Rejoice in what God has done to you and for you, and that should lead you to joyfully worshiping him. All of life is repentance. Welcome to Christianity. Being an apprentice of Jesus, following after the way, is hard work in the sense of not earning. Don't hear me say hard work to earn his favor, but because you've earned his favor, we now model that, which means we're graceful. We're full of mercy. We walk honorable alongside each other with all gentleness and humility, counting others' needs more than ourselves, cultivating those friendships, regularly confessing our sin to God and to one another. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for today. There's about 72 other things running through my mind right now. And so I'm just going to ask for clarity as we move into response. It's one of those... One of those scriptures, one of those topics that um, there's so much. Your word is a living well, full of living water, living words. And so I'm just going to take a step back and ask that your Holy Spirit would move. For those who have never confessed their sin to you, would you open up an opportunity for them to come before you and not hide in shame and sin and suffering, but actually just call it for what it is. Would your spirit convict them? Would they confess their sin to you? They ask for your forgiveness. And then would they turn from that and worship you? And then for those of us that that maybe have been walking with you, apprenticing you, following you along the way for years, if there's stuff in our hearts that's just messy, there's conversations we need to have, would you please open up that door? Spirit, would you move today? I think a lot of times I just try to I just try to say the right thing do the right thing I'm just going to ask you spirit to move do what only you can do convict draw near to, to those who are hurting maybe there's sin that's been done to them and they need to bring that to light to the one who who sinned against them maybe that person doesn't even know give them courage give them a, a brother and sister to go with to confide in, to work through. Pray for marriages, that they'd be strengthened today. Friendships to be restored, reconciled. Lord, would you mark Grace Church Alito with your grace and your love and your hospitality, but also, Lord, that we would be marked with being a repenting people, constantly turning from our sin, worshiping ourselves, the idols of our heart, to worshiping you. You are far greater than anything. Do what only you can do in Jesus' name.